Hey, everybody. You know, Mark and I have over 20 years of experience as therapists and as addicts in long-term successful recovery. We know better than anyone what works and what doesn't to break out of porn and sex addiction, heal betrayal trauma, and reclaim your relationship. And we've poured all of our personal and professional recovery and healing experience into a first-of-its-kind program for addicts, spouses, and couples. We call it Dare to Connect. At least four times every week, we engage with you in real time, in the trenches, giving you the knowledge and the tools to take back your life and relationship. Whatever else you've done on your journey for healing and recovery, you've never done anything like this. You know, Mark and I, we've made all the mistakes, so you don't have to. Don't reinvent the wheel. We all know tomorrow never comes. Look, don't wait one more day to change. Claim your free two-week trial today at daretoconnectnow.com. Hey, everybody. I'm Steve Moore. And I'm Mark Castleman. We know the pain and heartbreak of porn and sex addiction. And we know the triumph of breaking completely free. Every day, we help our clients find hope and healing. Join us in the fight to take back your life, your marriage, and be stronger than ever. This is the PBSC Squared Podcast. everybody. Welcome to the PBSC podcast to episode 214. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and read the title because we never do that. want to keep it interesting here. My partner's porn addiction ruined our sex life. Can or should we seek a total quote unquote sexual reset? Mm. Um, interesting topic. Yes. Um, and uh, touches on a couple of different things. And we, we appreciate the submission because it was, it was a little bit unique and a little bit different. It was, we're going to be talking about a few things on this podcast that we've covered in the past. Although now that we're over four years into this, we've kind of covered everything. <laughs> but uh, but she does present a unique circumstance, and and so we wanted to answer this question. It's a great one, and it is from a partner. And uh, we're going to summarize this. It, the submission was quite lengthy, but long story short, uh, she and her spouse have been married not too long, about a couple of years, and uh, he has a lengthy uh, history of addiction to pornography. And uh, masturbation. And she uh, she talks about how she discovered that there was a discovery process that did not go well about six to seven months into their marriage. Um, and this came on the heels of what she describes as a very toxic initial portion to the relationship. Um, relationship from where she's not using this phraseology, but we would use it was was definitely in a lot of ways almost emotionally abusive. Um, he carried a lot of rigid expectations sexually into the relationship and had a very uh, firm and unshakable idea of what sex should look like, what her body image should, should be like, you know, her, her attractiveness versus not what made her attractive. A lot of those same things that we've talked about in past podcasts that is very indicative of the guys that we work with um, who have had extensive exposure to pornography. And it caused a lot of issues in their relationship, her feeling, you know, very inadequate, um, not enough. Uh, she also had some medical issues that exacerbated the issues a little bit, the issue a little bit more because she wasn't able to be sexual as much as either he or she wanted to. And uh, so there was a, a really difficult initial period of time at the beginning of their marriage. And then that 
was enhanced even more so by the disclosure and the discovery of this uh, of this addiction. And I think she even said there were even times where his expectations got right on the borderline of when she would say no, he would not honor that. Yes, yes, very aggressive. Yeah, right? very aggressive. Um, very aggressive, and and it was it was very traumatic for her. Um, and so she struggled a lot at the beginning of their marriage. He now uh, fast forward fast forward a ways. Uh, they're they're doing therapy. Uh, he's been working a good recovery program from what she describes. Uh, he's been sober for several months now and they're doing much better as a couple, but there are still obviously a lot of old wounds that are healing. Um, and the way that she describes is that, uh, both he and she are extremely, uh, disgusted and regretful at the way that their sexual relationship developed at the beginning. And she, she looks back on that with a real sadness, which makes sense. You know, she talks about how, you know, most couples are, they want to look back on that initial portion of their marriage as, you know, being so in love and connected and, you know, high sexual desire, like that typical honeymoon stage. And she talks about how we don't have that. And then she asks these follow, and, and so she's missing that. And she's, and now that she's got this, what she terms, she's starting to see the quote unquote real version of her husband. She's, this is what she says next. There's several questions. Our questions are these. In what ways could we reset our dating in early stages of marriage? We have discussed trying to trying to redo our dating experience by doing a partial separation and cutting out sex so that we can both have a, a time period of quote-unquote dating that we can look back on and be happy with and, and commemorate the ending of our dating redo by coming together sexually in a way that is mutually desired. Is this a bad idea? So she's basically talking about doing a sex fast as a way to kind of do a sexual reset, completely start over with the dating and the courtship and the physicality that comes with that and then leading up to a quote unquote, kind of redo with that. And then she says, is that a bad idea? Do we just, or do we just need to accept that our dating, wedding, and first months of marriage were terrible and entirely shaped by my husband and his pornographic desires? Our sex life has always been about him and what he wanted and was never a safe place for me to explore my own wants and or desires. How do I learn to enjoy and desire sex with my husband after he criticized everything I did sexually before and after marriage? Wow. It's a lot. Yeah. And the first, the first thing about this is Steve, as you and I were looking at this was just pure empathy. Um, so hard. It breaks our hearts to hear her describe this and what she, what she went through in their, in their courting and their, in their marriage that was so out of bounds because of how he was coming at their sexual relationship. And then on top of going through all that, then having the bomb dropped where disclosure comes, what he brought into the marriage this severe addiction. And it's just, it's, it's completely and utterly unfair. It absolutely blasted to pieces what she thought she had, who she thought she was marrying. Right. So it's complete. It's a loss. It's a massive loss. But all of a sudden you, you realize what you've experienced wasn't true. It wasn't genuine or authentic. And now, I mean, let's just face it. What are what is one of the things that carries us through hard times in our relationships, in our marriages? It's reflecting back on all on all the good times and the good stuff. True. And she was probably true. doing that, and now she realizes that 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 wasn't even true. That there were there were a lot of lies that were happening. So that loss. Um, you brought up, in fact, Steve. I'm gonna let you talk about this because you do it so passionately about the fact that she showed up and he didn't you, mm. you talk about that with regard to partners. Yeah, I, and there are lots of stories that I could use to do this. We won't for sake of time, but I, I do think back all the time to one particular client, every time this topic comes up of, 
where a spouse comes to me and just says, look, this whole period of time in our marriage, right? Whether it was at the beginning or whatever, it's ruined. Mm -hmm. It's ruined. I, I look back, this betrayal's happened. Everything that I thought I knew was a lie. And, and, and there, are, it's such a hard conversation to have with a client. And I remember sitting down with this particular one and we talked about this at length. It was kind of the whole theme of, of a couple of sessions and where were you, we were able to arrive to, and this, and this doesn't take away the pain for the relationship part because it absolutely, this is, this is absolutely a loss, right? Just like you would lose anything. We talk about that all the time on our podcast and in dare to connect about how, when, when a betrayal of this magnitude happens, it's like somebody died. There yes. was this thing that you thought was here. And for you, it was here. Now it's gone. It's yeah. vanished, right? And so there is that whole loss element. But the other side of that, what we were able to talk to talk about is that even though it's important to grieve and hold space for that loss, there has to be that recognition on, for example, for this partner. And we would say, and the partner that I'm talking about, we'd say the same thing to this one that wrote in and to any of you spouses who find yourself in a similar position. Even though those memories have been most definitely impacted, right? By his decisions to do the things that he did, by his decisions to not do the things that he did, right? And make the choices that he made. His lack of, I'm just going to use the term sanctifying the marriage for lack of a better term, does not in any way take away from you sanctifying it. Mm. You honoring it. You holding it up on a pillar and treating it with the care and the love that it deserves. You showing up with your very best self, even though your partner and, and to whatever degree they did elected not to do that for whatever reasons they did. That does not in any way diminish your sacrifice and, and, and your honoring and your, again, making, making that relationship sacred on your end. Mm -hmm. And I hope that, Partners listening can hear that because it's really critical while you are grieving those those pieces that, again, are tainted. It's critical that you hold on and, and recognize that there is a part of this that is not tainted, and that is the part that you invested. I love that. Yeah. And that was, a, that, that was as, as I got into healthy recovery and my wife got into betrayal trauma healing, that was a big, a big deal for her. You know, she, 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 part of her was kind of, is all of this just a complete lie and ruined she even felt some disgust about things that she was pulled into, right? That she, that she yeah. exercised sufficient boundaries and hold her side of the street. And she was very bothered by that. But as we talked about it and looked at it, um, she showed up with, with almost complete integrity. She, she put her whole heart into our relationship from the first almost moment we started dating and courting. I love that. She showed was, up with integrity. She was all in. Yeah. She held nothing back. And so as, as, as we look back and it's, it is a source of deep regret for me as I look back at what she came, she came all in and I didn't, but, and, and that's very sad for the relationship and, and for me personally, but for her, she, she was a superhero, man. Like from day one. Yeah, absolutely. No. And I, I, and we just hope that every partner can hear that. We know that that doesn't undo all the damage. Nor does it, nor should it, frankly, take away from that grieving process you may be experiencing. But hopefully, you can hold on to that as you process those other things. Absolutely. So important to have that to hold on to. So, 
I know we, we, and we're not going to spend too much time on that because we talk about the betrayal side of this all the time, right? Because we want to make sure we get to these unique questions that are here. Um, you know, this question of to quote unquote sex fast or not to sex fast, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and then also we wanted to talk about this process of, you know, redating quote unquote to use her terminology. What would that look like? What would that mean? And how would that incorporate with a sex fast versus not? So, yeah. Um, so let's, let's talk about the sex fast piece for just a second. Um, we have done other podcasts on this. Um, and uh, we, where we've actually broken down in detail, right? This whole concept of a sex fast and what it looks like and why to do it, why to not. Um, we'll just give a quick, I guess you could say, summary to that. The first thing to keep in mind is if you're going to navigate a sex fast in your relationship for whatever reason, uh, pro- professional guidance in that area by somebody who knows what they're doing, uh, specifically a CSAT or someone similarly trained, if you can, is going to be recommended. Uh, what we do in the in the bedroom in a relationship, especially one that's been betrayed, uh, can have tremendous consequences on what happens going forward. And there are lots of reasons why people have set off to have sex fasts with the best of intention, only to have that blow back in their face in a variety of ways that wasn't anticipatable. Um, so that would be the first kind of caveat that we'd give. But if you are considering a sex fast, generally speaking, when we do those, me speaking as a CSAT and Mark having similar training, we would definitely say that some of the reasons for that would include things like uh, his... his uh, perspective or lens of sex sexuality has become either extremely toxic or codependent and continues to remain that way to the point where maybe we need to take a complete break from any sort of sexual interaction to help facilitate like a sexual reset of either his arousal template or break the codependency that he has with the sex act or both right and so sometimes we will facilitate that for those reasons um other reasons that we might facilitate a sex fast might be a spouse sometimes gets caught in that pattern of rescuing and using sex, among other things, to rescue or to maintain in a toxic, unhealthy way the relationship. And the relationship has become over-reliant on the sexual component to try to limp along, even though the other areas of intimacy are not working, right? Mm-hmm. So those would be the typical kinds of re- – and there are others, but those are typically the kinds of reasons we would usually – talk about yeah, doing and the place like where that. this can go awry is is making the assumption that if we just simply put space and time in this whole sexual relationship when we then come back after two or three or four or six months we'll be ready to go and it, and it will be so much better yeah i've seen a lot of disappointed couples and clients who made that assumption and it did not work in fact in some ways when they came back and tried to re-engage it was in some ways even worse Yes. Right. And so don't assume that just the absence of sex is going to by itself be a, be a healing or resetting factor. It isn't right. It can help, but we, but there, there has to be a very clearly in mind. What are the reasons for this sex fast and to have mm-hmm. a very calm, clear, and again, professionally, professionally facilitated conversation. What are we looking to gain in doing so? Here are these five different areas that we're looking to improve or address. And, and, and we need to plan out this period of sexual abstinence and, and then ask ourselves, does it meet each one of these needs? Are we going to end up at the end of this thing, having accomplished what we are saying we need? Yeah. It's a great way to put it, right? You want to make sure that the, that the end goals are going to line up with the, with the route you're taking. And, and, and yeah, this would be, I mean, cause you need to, it, looking at it, looking at pursuing a sex fast is kind of like pursuing a separation, right? It mm-hmm. is, it's a sexual separation essentially. 
right? And anytime you introduce any sort of separation in a relationship, um, there are ways to do that therapeutically. And then there are ways that actually just make the relationship, like Mark said, grow cold, right? And and can cause all sorts of other issues. Mm. I think I think that both of us would say, we talked about this beforehand, and I don't, I think we're both pretty firm on the idea that given this current dynamic going to what Mark is saying, a sexual, just taking simp, simply taking space and even the act of taking space here alone, I don't think for most couples is going to cause the kind of reset that this couple is looking for. Um, what is going to facilitate that sort of a reset, though, would be a sitting down and and taking charge of the sexual relationship, just like other, any other area of int- intimacy, and sitting down and and becoming the be. be putting yourself back in the driver's seat is what I call it. Sometimes, you know, when we've been married for a while, we kind of get in these just patterns of doing things, right? We get in cruise control. And what all of us, I think, need to remember is that in any area of our marriage, at any time in a marriage, we have the right and the obligation to to periodically look at this and say, okay, the pages or the chapters up to today are all written, right? We can't change those, nor would we want to, because that's part of our story. But like today's page going forward are completely blank. And we can make those look however we want, right? There is nothing that says that sex today needs to look like sex yesterday or courtship today needs to look like just yesterday, right? I don't think that we don't think that there really is a need to have some sort of a set time frame, right? To institute this kind of a break. What it's going to require is a lot of work paired with really solid boundaries about how far do you want to walk that back if you're going to pursue some sort of a dating reset. And and what that would actually look like, right? What would be the steps of of bringing sex back on the table? But then also painting a picture of if we are going to bring sex back and when, how do we want it to look like? What would be the characteristics? What would be the attributes? For example, if I'm a partner and sex up to this point has looked like something that's been demanded or something that I've been held hostage for or something that has been begged for or pressured by a partner, I, as a partner, have the right and the obligation to step back and say, this is how I want it to look going forward. I want sex to be something in which I'm chosen. I want it to be something that is requested of me and that I feel free free to give or free to refuse. Right? I want sex to be a place where I connect, not a place where I maintain him emotionally. Right. right? Those would just be some examples of, like, we can do that today, and I don't think that a sex fast is probably going to meet that need so much as those hard conversations will. Well, and the other side of this that's especially challenging is that we have to all realize not just as us, us as addicts in recovery, but also partners in betrayal trauma healing, we all come from a deeply sexualized culture and influence that we've grown up with. Yes. And so the expectations behind uh, our, the sexual side of our relationship, when we talk about a complete reset, we as addicts in recovery, we need to show our willingness to step back and start to question a lot of the things that I've held as ironclad with regard to my sexuality and how I approach my partner, my needs, my wants, how I engage with it, how often I engage with it, the expectations of it. Am I willing as a guy in recovery to, to really put nothing's off the table with regard to challenging those old habits and expectations and mindsets sexually? Am I willing to look at all of them and basically say, all of this is on the, is on the table to be talked about and to be discussed about what what works for you, partner, and what doesn't. I'm not holding anything out stubbornly. That's very important. It's also important for a spouse that's been betrayed 
she always will have certain sexual paradigms and expectations as a result of her history, not just mm-hmm. in the marriage, but before. So are there some ways that she looks at sexuality that need to be challenged and looked at? Um, and, and not just from, and, and please hear me, I'm not saying that there are certain ways she needs to become more liberal or needs to you know, put herself out there more and not be so prudish, right? These are things that we've heard so often. What I'm saying is, does, does she maybe need to relook at the fact that maybe she has not held boundaries where they need to be set? Absolutely. Maybe, maybe it's become obligatory in the relationship. Maybe there were certain expectations she saw, saw modeled by her own parents or past relationships she's had, right? Maybe there's a complete reset for her about what this sexual site is and what it looks like. Well, and you're making a great point, Mark, because she actually says, if you recall, she says, you know, I never had the chance. There was never a safe place, quote, for me to explore my own wants or desires. Oh, wow. Look at that. Yeah. Right? I never even chance. had a chance to figure it out for me. I was just trying to maintain or meet him. Yeah. He, he dictated all of it. And what we kind of hear from her is it was, it was sort of his pornified experience that I was pulled into. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. The other side that's very important is they do a dating reset. Have they, have they found that sex has become kind of the predominant aspect of their relationship, Mm -hmm. right? All things have to lead to sex or be after sex or whatever. And maybe they want to really sit down and have a serious talk about what do we want holistic intimacy to look like for us? Right. We talk about eight areas of intimacy, sex only being one. What about the other seven? Maybe we want those to be predominant and maybe the sexual side, we want to be kind of the icing on the intimacy cake. Mm, yeah. Is there a big discussion to be had about that? Right. Is there, is there an over, over emphasis and overplay of the sexuality side? Absolutely. No. So, so what we've got here is, is, is we've got two sides of this coin, right? One is the individual reset that we're looking at for each person, right. To be able to say, okay, this is what it's been. How do each of us want this to look? And then there's the le- the going forward and coming together and collaborating on that, right? And yes. saying, how do we create this vision together? Um, how do we look at this together? In other words, how do we take charge today? How do we not allow ourselves to be imprisoned by this idea, like Mark was saying, that it's, you know, we three or four or six months down the road is when we can reset it. No, we can do that right now, right? We can mark the calendar right now, go out in the yard, make a notch on our tree, and say, you know, carve our initials in a in the tree. Please don't do it in the living tree. Do it in the dying tree, right? <laughs> we put our initials out there. We can do whatever, and we can say today's the day where we decided to reframe and do this differently. And now let's let's be very clear: an addict who has a whole history, a lengthy history like this guy does, of his arousal template being wired through pornography, he cannot come at a reset with his partner without absolutely being realistic about what's going to be required for his personal recovery work. For sure. And that may actually include a sex fast on his end. It might. Right. We should mention that. That is a possibility. It might. Yeah. But, but Uh, we guys have to understand what's going to be required of me to step in with my partner here and reset this whole sexual thing. If I'm not doing a whole ton of personal recovery and healing work on my side, there's no way because sex, sex was my God. Sex was my, place of gaining worth and value. Sex was whether my wife loved me or wanted me or not. Sex was sex was my be-all, end-all. And yeah. if I'm going to reset that, I have a huge amount of personal work to do in order to be in the space where I can even make the attempt. Yeah. 
Well, and 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 that kind of leads into as we move this forward. I know we got to wrap up here, but it, it, talking about amends for just a minute, right? Mm. Making amends or making repair for the past. I mean, there is no way to go back and redo this, obviously. And we don't know anything about this couple other than what we've been told. But for the for the addict partner, hopefully he's listening to this, and you addict partners who may find yourself in a another a situation like this, apologies. I would say in this kind of venue are not enough, right? No. And an amends is made up of a couple of things. Part of it is what Mark just described, right? It's these sincere efforts to change and actually change course and direction. But when we talk about amends, especially like in a 12-step lens, that's about making recompense where possible, right? Recognizing we can't give people time back, but making recompense where possible, where things have gone awry. I always use the example really quick of a, of, of a client who's, I, I have a couple that I used to work with who's the, the partner her birthday always fell on the birthday of his mom. Mm. And mom always got what she wanted on her birthday every year. That's just how it worked. Well, as we were going through the amends process and working on some other aspects of the marriage that needed work, this came up that she had humongous resentments about this. Her birthday had been shoved to the background every year for the past like 20 years. Mm. And when the husband started to recognize that and we started to move and talk about this immense, we, he and I together actually came up with a great plan because she'd always wanted to travel or do stuff. She could never go do anything on her birthday. So he came to her. They're in a better place financially. And he pulled out a map and he said, you point to a spot and I will make it happen. On the globe. Yeah. yeah I am so sorry that we have not done this. This is terribly overdue. I don't care where you want to go. You want to go to, you know, the, you just want to drill a hole straight through the center of the planet and wherever we end up, that's where we're going. Then that's where we're going because that this is way past due and I will make whatever I need to on my end to make it work. Right? Yeah. I'll make the financial sacrifices. I'll take bologna sandwiches to work for the next, you know, 10 months, whatever I got to do. I'm all we're, in. We're going to do this. Right. And so th those discussions should happen if, if that's something that a spouse feels like they need. Right. Again, there's no way to give that back, but where we can, that's a good first start. And then as we wrap up here, right, a couple of things that we would throw out towards the addict partner as well. Obviously, situations like this, it goes without saying, uh, your wife is dealing with stuff that she did not ask for and, and did not sign up for. Uh, we hope that you will be providing a, a situation. We, we talk about this all the time on Dare to Connect. Uh, for addict spouses and couples, we'd love to have you guys come join us. Still have a two-week trial going on right now, guys. If you're able to come grab that, you can find that at daretoconnectnow.com. But uh, leading out with things like empathy, right? Patience. One thing that I wanted to mention for sure, and this has been kind of coming up in my practice, which is why I wanted to mention this again, mm -hmm. consistent ongoing accountability. Yes. And for some of the guys that I work with, and I know that Mark has the same thing, Guys get resistant to this because it's like, what? Do you just want another apology? You want me to say I'm sorry again for the 50,000th time? Accountability and apologies are not the same thing. And in 99% of cases, when I work with partners, they're not wanting you to apologize 3,000 times. They're wanting you to consistently own and say, I understand that because of the background, you could still find yourself feeling X, Y, or Z place. Guys, I got news for you. My wife listens to this podcast. She knows what I'm talking about. We don't have time to get into it. Had a bit of a blow up with my wife over this last weekend. We were out of sorts with each other for a good yeah, eight to 12 hours. And when we came back together, part, part of me taking the lead in fixing that, even though in many ways she was equally responsible for the discourse between the two of us, was me owning the fact that the way she responded to me still ties back to trauma. 
mm-hmm. that I used to cause in our emotionally abusive mm-hmm. discussions that I caused. And I had to own it. Guys, I and I literally word for word said, Brittany, I understand that because of, you know, these these factors, it is really scary for you to talk to me about certain things. Mm. And I asked her, is that the case? And she was like, yeah, it is. And I, mm. and I said, I, I get that. I get that. And, and, and I can understand that. How can, how can I help to better, right? And that was part of our discussion, right? That ownership, that ongoing ownership guys is so important. Sometimes we operate from this place of, I apologize for this already. And that's occurred. Why is this coming up again? (laughs) Yeah. How long are you going to bring this up? Yeah. I'm going to bring this up. Right. So please. And, and the last thing to tie in with that guys, usually what makes guys so resistant to that is a need for additional shame work on the self. Because us bringing that stuff up, me bringing that stuff up again with my wife does not bother me these days anymore. Because I've done a lot of work around the shame side of that. So providing your spouse with that safe landing spot and recognizing that even though for you, you may be one, two, three, six months, maybe even a couple of years sober. Not that we ever compare it this way, but maybe mentally you ought to just keep in mind, okay, how long has this gone on for them? Yeah. (laughs) Versus how long have I been making changes. Yeah. I've been sober for three years, but, but I put her through this for 30 years. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And all these other things she may be dealing with from other areas of her life as well. Right. Being Mm -hmm. able to really see our partner. That's something else we were talking about and dare to connect this week. If only you guys were there to join in. We'd love to have you there. We'd love to have you come over. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, and again, we always, we say this so much part of amends for us as guys in recovery. My wife says it all the time. Talk is cheap. Show me. Yep. And she wants to see that I am I am showing forth the consistent daily actions of recovery and of change, not just talking the talk, but walking the walk. And she looks, she she looks, and she watches, and mm. she sees the change. She sees the effort. She sees the willingness and and the sincerity, and it Love means that. everything. Love so. that. Awesome. Well, guys, as always, thank you so much for being here. We appreciate you. Please do come check out Dare to Connect if you had a chance. We hope that you'll come join us. Come take a look at what all the excitement and the buzz is about. Uh, we keep just growing like weeds over there, and we'd love to have you you come on over as we launch some new and exciting things here in the in the year 2024 and add on to the program ever more. Um, you can find a two-week trial for that at daretoconnectnow.com. And as always, uh, if you would like to send us submissions to the podcast, we're running about seven-ish weeks behind right now on the submissions. Are. But uh, so for immediate help, Dare to Connect is your answer, or we are we are uh, working through questions that are submitted to the podcast, and you're welcome to send us those as always. We always appreciate your patronage here on the podcast at pbscpodcast.com. All right, everybody. Thanks for being with us, and we'll see you on our next episode. Take care, everybody. Everything expressed on the PBSE podcast are the opinions of the hosts and the participants and is for informational and educational purposes only. This podcast should not be considered mental health therapy or as a substitute thereof. It is strongly recommended that you seek out the clinical guidance of an individual qualified mental health professional. If you're experiencing thoughts of suicide, self-harm, or a desire to harm others, please dial 911 or go to your nearest emergency room.